Amen. Thank you for the Dan. We are continuing our study <clears throat> on the Godhead, and we've spent uh, about four weeks already on the guidance of God. Uh, how many would agree that's important to know? And it's, I think it's vital for our lives, and that's one reason we're spending so much time here on that. And it's also interesting, uh, everybody, if you're going to walk with God, we need God's guidance in our life every day. Uh, so it affects all of us as Christians, and I think it's very, very important to us. And one of the things we've been emphasizing when we're seeking uh, God's direction for our lives, one thing we need to ask ourselves every time is, is what we're doing, is it, is it in harmony with God's Word or what we're planning on doing? And if it's not in harmony, what's our answer? Don't do it, right? Don't, even, don't, don't dwell on it. Uh, don't pursue it. Simply don't do it. Let's go back to our foundation verse, uh, 2 Timothy 3.17. Let's read it again tonight. Thank you, Dan. Now, Paul just talked about how the Word of God was inspired. It's God-breathed. And we have to realize that God has given us His Word for a very practical purpose in our lives. It's something that we need to apply to our lives. It's something we need to know and to live out every day. And that's why the study of the Scriptures needs to be a priority in our lives if we're going to determine what God has revealed to us. We'll find it, of course, in the Word of God. What does God want us to do? It's in the Word of God. So we're continuing tonight to look at some different kind of help we can have as we try to discover uh, the will of God. And again, our highest priority as Christians is to make sure uh, that our life, the way we live, lines up to the precepts, commandments, and the principles of the Word of God. So tonight we're going to look at some ways of how we can expect uh, the Lord uh, to guide our lives. And we're going to look at uh, some basics, if you will, uh, of how to determine the Lord's will for our life. Let's go back to Ephesians 5.17. We've been there for a couple of weeks. Uh, somebody read that, please, if you've got it. Thank you, Phyllis. What's Paul telling us? What, what do we see in Ephesians 5.17? See now? Okay, don't be foolish, all right? That's, that's exactly what the word unwise means. Yeah, amen, it sticks to the Word of God. But what I like is the last part of that, we can understand what the will of God is for our life, Phyllis, like you said, if we stay true to the Word of God. So the, the exhortation here that Paul gives us is that we should be understanding of what the will of God is for our lives. Now, let me, again, be very careful here, but yet very straightforward. For a Christian, if you don't understand what God's will for your life is, you need to get into, God, into word, the Word of God deeper. Search the Word of God. And again, we mentioned this last week, uh, that unwise uh, means don't be foolish. Now, it doesn't mean uh, some kind of mental handicap at all, but the foolish one are the ones who leave God's thoughts out of their thoughts, God's Word out of their life. You know, living our lives apart from what God wants. And also, uh, the foolish ones are those who live their lives basically unconcerned about what God thinks 
or what pleases God or what displeases God. So this is a person who doesn't rely upon God. But also important, you know, Paul says not to be unwise, so that means we're to be wise. And again, when you see the word wise in the word of God, it's not those who have a high IQ or are very highly intellectual or those who are highly educated. The wise from the scripture are those who honestly seek to put God first in their lives. Go to First Samuel chapter 2, look at verse 30. So we're, thank you, Dan. We're reading, a, a, I think, a, a very important uh, biblical principle uh, about a wise person from God's Word. And we have to understand, according to what we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, the Bible says that God honors them who honor Him. He honors those who honor Him. He gives those who honor Him good judgment. Now, conversely, If we don't honor God, can we expect Him to honor us? No. If we don't spend time in God's Word and honor Him by doing that, we can't expect God uh, to give us guidance in our life in in, in any uh, direction at all. Now, it's also interesting. uh, I I believe that this is a lifetime pursuit. Uh, Isaiah said, line upon line, uh, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And, And I think that's even true when we talk about gaining wisdom in God. But the good news is, the more we surrender completely to God, the more the principles of God's Word will will affect the way we live, the more our lives will change, and our, our spiritual growth and wisdom is going to sort of excel and be a, a lot quicker as we honor God and stay true to the Word of God. Again, here a little, there a little, and not all at once, but if we begin to build on that and we pursue God, it's going to accelerate that process in our life. Now, remember, we speak about God's wisdom, the wisdom of God. We, we, this, and, and again, this brings sound judgment in our lives, but we have to understand it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen all at once. Um, but it doesn't mean that we have to live a whole lifetime to gain any aspect of it. That's not true. As we walk with God, our wisdom in God begins to grow, and it continues to grow. And the good thing is, we don't have to wait till the end of our life say, so, you know what, I've got it. But it's going to continue to grow in our lives. Now, would you agree that there are some people who mature more quickly in the, in the Lord? I think it's true. We know that some have, have been saved only but a few years. And they are very spiritual, they're very godly, and they appear to at least possess, to some degree, more spiritual wisdom than some who were saved years before that. So we know that happens. But here's how we do that. We've got to have a heart for the Word of God. We have to treasure up in our heart, treasure up in our minds, 
uh, the doctrines. What do we what do we mean by doctrine? The teaching of the scripture. We've, we've got to keep that in our heart. We've got to keep those precepts, God's promises, even the warnings that God gives us, even the exhortations of the Word of God. And it's interesting when we compare ourselves on how our walk with God is. We don't compare it to someone else. We compare it to the Word of God. How does my life match up with what God expects from me as a child of God? And as we do that on a consistent basis, as children of God, we grow into a habitual frame of spiritual wisdom in our lives by sticking and having the Word of God in our lives. And so what happens is, the more time we spend in God's Word, we apply that Word. We, again, we said in Second Timothy, it's practical. That's why God gave it to us. Not just to study, not just to memorize, not just to memorize, mesmerize us, but to make it a practical use in our lives. And when we do that, we gain spiritual insight. And folks, that can only come from the Word of God. And that spiritual insight helps us to judge what is right, uh, what is wrong, and it gives us a degree of certainty because we've taken into consideration the principles of the Word of God. And when we do that, when we do that, uh, it'll be rare we make mistakes when we make decisions for the Lord. We're following the Word of God. So our hearts, our whole being is influenced by the Word of God. Now, don't forget, I don't have this verse in our notes tonight, but in John chapter 6, Jesus said, My words, they are spirit and they are life. Isn't that true? There's, there's no other book like God's Word. No other word like God's Word. And so God's Word is spirit and it is life. And when we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, apply it daily, uh, again, get an overall view of its precepts and principles, a lifetime process, we begin to gain spiritual insight. But there's another basic principle. We've got to have a heart focused on God's glory. Now think about that. We must have a heart focused on God's glory. Um, what do you think about that? Is that how, why is that important? Why would that be important? How would that affect our lives? How would it affect our decision making? Okay, that's good. I was thinking uh, just a moment ago as I thought about this particular point. Several times in Scripture, one in, in particular, uh, God had told Moses basically, uh, you know, step back. I'm going to destroy these people. I'll start over with you. And Moses gave him a, a, certainly a, a wonderful reply. He said, Lord, if, if you do that, then the world's going to think you couldn't do what you said you're going to do. So what was Moses concerned about? He was concerned about God's glory, about God's reputation. And and so, you know, when, when we think about having a heart focused on God's glory, 
And remember, that's our chief duty. That, that's our highest priority is the glory of God. And if we make that God's glory, God's reputation, when it's our heart is focused on that, folks, we will never, never stray too far from the precepts of God's Word. His glory has got to be on our hearts. And here's what's interesting. The Bible, God Himself, He promises that He would show Himself, show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect or complete toward Him. That's the kind of God that we serve. And he, and he does this, and we're not going to use, we, we refer to the verse in Romans chapter 8, but he does that because he wants all things to work together for our good. But it's all for the glory of God. Go to Matthew 6, look at verse 22. Okay, Jesus speaking here. And we'll come back to this in a moment. But he says the light of the body is the eye. And if the eye is single, if the eye is healthy, if it's pure, Jesus of the whole body is going to be full of light. Proverbs 4.23. Okay, so we're told by in Proverbs to guard our heart with everything we have because out of it, comes the issues of life. So the Bible speaks about our eye, speaks about our heart, and we know that this is figurative language, and yet I think the meaning is clear. What the eye is to the body, the heart is to the soul. And again, according to Proverbs, out of our soul, out of our heart, come the issues of life. So what the eye is to the body, the heart is to the soul. And that's important we think about having a heart focused on the glory of God. And it's important in my life, it's important in your life. Now, it's interesting. Um, the actions of our body. They are directed by the light we receive from our eyes. And so if our eye is sound and clear, if we're able to perceive objects as they really are, then the whole body has light to direct itself. And when you have that light, it's easy to move with safety and comfort. Have you ever tried to walk around your house at nighttime with no lights on? How quick do you move? Pretty slow. Why? You live there. <laughs> yeah, because there's no light coming in. And it's hard to see where you're walking. And so, in the same way, when our heart is undivided... When our heart is set on pleasing God in everything, then our soul has a clear vision. 
and we are able to better discern the true nature of things, and we're able to determine the true value of sound judgment, and we're better prepared to choose wisely and direct ourselves accordingly. When the eye is pure and whole, and when the heart is undivided, set on pleasing God. And it helps us determine the will of God. So when our heart is right with God, our soul is endowed with spiritual wisdom. And so when our soul is endowed, there is light for our path because we have a heart for the glory of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, again, look at verse 23. So it's kind of interesting. We read verse 22 a moment ago. And what a contrast we see between uh, these two verses. If the vision of our uh, bodily eye is defective, uh, we're talking in in a physical sense, uh, if a cataract is developing or whatever it might be, uh, then nothing is seen clearly. And it makes it difficult to navigate our way. And because we don't see clearly, it's confusion. It's, again, like trying to walk around our home at nighttime in the dark, thumbing around. And uh, certainly, uh, we're in danger of tripping or falling. And so, when the heart is right with God, where sin, uh, well, when the heart is right with God, everything is all right. But when our heart is not right with God, when we allow sin to dominate, when we allow ourselves to dominate, uh, it is, Jesus says, because the light is not in us, the darkness is greater. And so we have to be careful about that if we're going to discern the will of God for our lives. And so, When the heart is not right, when we're not set on the glory of God, our judgment is blinded, we have a difficult time making a right discernment between good and evil, and by the way, uh, does Satan have a way of making things look good? Sure he does. And when we're not seeing with our eyes and our heart correctly, we can't see through the glow, uh, the glitter, what do you want to call it, of the things Satan is baiting us with. And the sad thing is, if we're not careful, we will be deceived by them. We must have a heart set on the glory of God. Now, keep in mind, when God created us, uh, what was our condition when God created us? What was our condition when he finished creation? Perfect. Amen. Nothing nothing wrong. But we know that sin came. And the light that's in fallen man, uh, well, let me ask you, can we trust our own reasoning now? No, can't do that. Uh, But the problem is, because we're fallen, if we're not careful, we're controlled by our own desires, 
rather than having a desire for God. And when we allow that to control our lives, when we allow self to be in control, our life is infilled with darkness. Go to, again, chapter 6 of Matthew, and look at verses 19 through 21. Amen. Now, I find it kind of interesting. We read it a moment ago, uh, what Jesus said about the eye. And now, right after that, he speaks about laying up the right kind of treasure. So there has to be a connection here. And, and so it's interesting. He talks about the eye being single, or the eye being evil, whichever, it might, whichever the case might be. And certainly, he's anticipating a question from the disciples. So I look at this verse, and uh, Jesus says, basically, to lay our treasures up where? In heaven. Why? Say it again. It can't be destroyed. It won't wear away. It will last for. Eternity. So I read it, I look at this text, and I, I you know, it's, the Bible says it's important for me not to lay up treasures on earth. But that, I, in fact, I need to lay treasures in heaven. I was talking to my brother just sometime this week, and I didn't tell him I was teaching this tonight. And he said, you know, you're just totally different than, than our brother-in-law. Because our brother-in-law has the idea, the mentality, that the one who dies with the most toys wins. Isn't that a worldly mindset? But do they win? No. No. <laughs> exactly. And they, they, don't, they don't get it. They don't get it. And that's why in our world, in the economy of our, of our world, if you will, uh, you to the shrewdest, uh, are considered the most successful, and they're they're considered to be winners because they got all these toys. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That is not what the Bible teaches. Now the problem is, and even Jesus, said, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be shocked by this, because they cannot see what they're doing. Their eye is not whole. Their heart is not right. They are like blind men. In reality, they're just picking up pebbles, and all the while, they think they're picking up diamonds. But my friend, when our eye is not pure, when our heart is not right, that's exactly how we would live our lives. Now, isn't it true what we just read about laying up treasures on this earth? We know it's wrong, but isn't that what we see going on all around us? Everywhere you look, that's what most of mankind are doing. 
And we're talking about those who have not set their heart on the glory of God, but rather they've set their heart on things of time, things of sense, and they're spending all their energy for things, toys, if you will. And my question is, what good will they be on their deathbed? Nothing. They will have no value at all. Isaiah 55, look at verse 2. Amen. Now, remember what I told you in the get-go? God's Word is practical. And even here in Isaiah, we find out that the world, for the most part, they're working for things that will never satisfy. Do you find it to be true in our world? Sure. They're not satisfied. They are, with all their strength, Pursuing the pleasures of this world. But the sad thing is, all they're going to have is regrets. I'm reminded of what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. He said, after all I've done, after all my wisdom, all I've gained, Solomon asked a question, a good question. How do I not know that when I die, a fool will come in and inherit all I have? Is that regret? You better believe it. And that's what the world is going after. Because their hearts are not focused on the glory of God, their hearts are evil and their eyes are not pure. God has no place in their thoughts. And so because of that, God gives them up to a spirit of foolishness. So that's why we've got to have that healthy eye, spiritual eye, if you will. Because that means our heart has got to be set on pleasing God. And I can't overemphasize that because that's when God will show himself strong on our behalf. And if we are going to be filled with the wisdom of God, uh, with heavenly wisdom, we have to have our heart set on pleasing God. God, it's not what I want. Lord, it's what, what you want. And we have to seek those things that are for, for eternity, and we've got to lay up heavenly things in our life. Now, how many know the wisdom the Bible talks about, the wisdom that God wants us to have, you can't get at a university. You can't get it at a college or any type of education. That kind of wisdom has to come from where? From God. James 3.17. Somebody read it, please. Wow. Now, I, thank you, Phyllis, for reading that. Uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, when I prepared this, it's been a few days ago. 
And I looked at that, and, and thank you, Philip, for reading that. Look at this for a minute. This wisdom, this, this heavenly wisdom, is pure. How I many like that part of it? Isn't that good? It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's easy. To be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality. And without hypocrisy. Now may I ask you, can you find that kind of wisdom in the world? No. But look at what the wisdom from above offers to us. Now remember, we mentioned the fact that Jesus taught upon the single eye. The whole body full of light. He talked about the evil eye. The whole body full of darkness. But notice what he followed with in verse 24. Matthew chapter 6. And this just, I think, sort of uh, clarifies... The verses we read earlier about the eye being single or the eye being evil. Because the bottom line is, Jesus is speaking in a figure, figurative language of setting the Lord supremely in our hearts. And if we're going to discover the will of God for our lives, He must have supremacy in our hearts. And if we're going to do that, it's going to necessarily require that we get rid of worldly things in our life. Our eye has to be focused on Him, our heart. That's what He's talking about there. <laughs> and so the problem is, if we're not careful, we are guilty of trying to combine those two. Uh, we try to b- combine what God wants with what we want. We try to combine God and mammon according to Jesus' words. God and worldly pleasure. And Jesus, no, that's not going to work. If we are going to serve God, how much of us does God want? Every bit of us. And until we are willing to come to that place in our lives, there's no way we'll be able to discern the will of God for our lives. Now, we think about, you know, these are basic principles. And... uh that we can use to sort of guide our general walk with God. And so far we've talked about the absolute necessity of being controlled by the Word of God on the outside of our lives. It's shown by the way we live, the way we talk, the way we walk. And it's certainly an absolute necessity that we allow the Word of God to control the way we live. But we've also talked the last few minutes about having our heart within a heart that is single, are focused on God's glory, a heart that is set on pleasing Him. And if we are going to have God's light shed upon our path, if we are wanting God to, to, to reveal His will for us, we've got to have the Word of God showing on the outside of our lives, and our heart has got to be focused on the Lord. I don't remember the exact verse, but I'm, I, my memory served me correctly in John chapter 5. Jesus said, talking about himself, he said, I always do the will of the Father. Who else can say that? I can't. 
And I hope that I can say, Lord, I always want to do your will. I always want to please you, Lord. And that tells me that my heart is single. My eye is single. My focus is on the glory of God. So we have the Word of God on display on the external part of our lives. We're living it out. We have a heart within us that is focused on God's glory. But the third thing we have is the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, you remember a few weeks ago we talked about some of these things already. And we even mentioned, you know, while all three are good, our heart, we can follow, you know, it's not always good, but we, if our heart is focused on God, it'll help us in this, determine the will of God. If we're in the Word of God, it'll help. The Spirit of God will also direct us. But by themselves individually, we can't always trust because sometimes we get our own desires in the way. And we make the Bible say what it doesn't say. We feel like God's Spirit is leading us somewhere. He's not leading us. So we have to be careful there. But if we use all three. So we need the help of the Holy Spirit. But let me warn you. When we come to this third point, we have to be careful. Because I am not talking about a vague mysticism. Nor am I talking about becoming guilty of wild extremism on the other hand. Guard against that. Now remember, Jesus said in, I think in John 14, and I don't know if we got the verse later on or not, but Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, who will He declare? Who will He talk about? When the Holy Spirit comes, He will declare Jesus. He will declare Jesus. And that certainly is the goal of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the problem is, because some people are taking this to the extreme, because some people are are caught up in mysticism, which is foolishness, they have sort of dived in to very foolish and sometimes evil paths And they would say that I did that because I was prompted by the Holy Spirit. So the thing we need to make sure we guard against is the Holy Spirit. Is he the one prompting us to go in whatever direction we feel like he is telling us to go? Now, what does the Bible say about trying the spirits? For what reason? To see what? Whether or not they are of God. And a lot of times, folks who claim they were prompted by the Spirit, when I see what they're doing, it's clear they may have been prompted by a Spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. There's one thing we need to make sure we understand. The Holy Spirit, well, let me ask you a question. Will the Holy Spirit lead us to do something against the Word of God? No. Never. Ever, ever, never. So whenever we... are trying to determine 
Is God's Spirit leading me to do this? Is my heart speaking to me to do this? But especially in this third point, the Holy Spirit. We have to bring our leading to what we think the Spirit is doing that. We've got to bring it to the Word of God. We've got to test it by the Word of God. Now, let me stop here for a minute. Is God infallible? Is God infallible? Help me out here. No, is God infallible? Is God? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. Is the Holy Spirit infallible? Yes. Is Jesus infallible? Yes. Is the Word of God infallible? So, if we feel like we're being led by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's infallible, what's the problem sometimes? We're not infallible. That's right, Paul. We are not infallible. And, and folks, listen to me very carefully. And, and let's, let's be honest, there's some nuts out there. We know that. But I think there's some well-meaning Christians at times who are misled in thinking the Spirit of God is leading them when He's not. And it could be you or I at any time. But that's why we've got to take it back to uh, the Word of God. So whatever our leanings might be, if we think the Spirit of God leading us, always bring it to the test of God's Word. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Phyllis, thanks for reading, but you didn't help me a bit there, okay? <laughs> and look at this verse. For as many as are led by the Spirit. That's what we're talking about, right? And yeah, well, I know what it means, okay? But we're looking, how do we determine that we're being led by the Spirit? Now, one thing for sure, if we are being led by the Spirit, that means we're born again. We are the sons of God. Now, understand something. One of the reasons that God has given us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a divine God, a divine guide. Let me say it right. He is our divine guide. So my question is, because God has given us the Holy Spirit to to be our divine guide, do you think he knows the path that God wants for our life? Sure he does. He absolutely does. Do you think he knows where the curves are in the road? Yeah. Do you think he knows where the potholes are and the danger? Sure he does. (laughs) So to be led by the Spirit is to be under his control, under his uh, government. And the good news is, because he is God, the Holy Spirit is God, he perceives our temptations. He perceives our weaknesses. He knows our desires. How many know he hears your groans too? He sure does. And he sees us struggling in our pursuit for holiness. He knows all of those things about our lives. But how many know 
The Holy Spirit knows when to say, hey, hold up a minute. Amen? I had to go to Loveland today to pick some, uh, return something. and uh, I saw a sign, a big orange sign, said, uh, uh, Workmen Ahead. What's that sign there for? Yeah, don't hit them. Be careful here. You know, slow down a little bit. Be careful. And so the Spirit of God knows. He knows when to supply a check in our lives. He knows when we need a rebuke, and He can do that. He, he knows how to apply a promise. And the great news is, the Spirit of God also knows how to sympathize with our sorrow. And He knows how to strengthen a wavering purpose in our lives. And He also knows how to bring confirmation even when our hope is fluctuating. So that's why we need to be led, led by the Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 13. What a wonderful verse. Where Christ is speaking here, talking about the Spirit of God has come, the Spirit of truth. And the promise is sure. Jesus says, when He comes, He will guide you into all truth. So will the Spirit of God guide you into a lie? No. Will He guide you into error? No. Will He guide you... Away from God's Word? No. Because God's Word is true. And He does that by controlling our thoughts. He does that by dealing with our affections and the way we live our life. He does that by opening our understanding to help us perceive what the Scripture means. And He does that by applying the Word of God in power to our hearts. And because he does that, it enables you and I to appropriate and take the Word of God and, if you will, boil it down and put it into practice. What a God we serve. And every time you open God's Word, every time we go to His Word, we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I need you. As I read your word, as I study your word, I need to hear from the one who inspired it. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. We read it a moment ago. Read it again. Romans eight fourteen. I want you to notice that first word there, the, the word for. Okay, F-O-R, for. It's interesting, when you get to verse 14, we read it a moment ago. What Paul is doing, he is introducing a confirmation of what he had said earlier. 
He said, if we are led by the Spirit of God, we are the sons of God. So again, he's confirming what he had said earlier. Look at verse 4, what he said earlier, Romans 8. So, who are, who are we to walk after? The Spirit, not the flesh. Go to verse 5, Romans 8. Now, I said we're to mind the things of God. Now, let me, let me interject here. If we are trying to discern the will of God for our lives... It could be in any situation. If we walk after the flesh, can we expect to find God's will? No. If we're trying to discern God's will, no matter what the situation is, if we are minding the things of the flesh, can we expect God's His revealed will? No. Go to verse 13, Romans 8. So the bottom line is, if you and I will mortify the deeds of the body, we are the ones who are led by the Spirit of God. Dan? Kill. To kill. Okay, good question, Dan. Sorry about that. To kill the body. Uh, now, wait a minute. I'm glad you asked. How easy, how easy is that to do? But that, now, it really means to kill our desires kill what we want, okay? How easy is that to do? Not at all. That's why we've got to be led of the Spirit. And so if we mortify the deeds, kill the deeds of this body, for a better thing, Dan, on your answer there, you know, get rid of these deeds of the body, then we can know we're being led by the Spirit. Now remember, and we're right down here for tonight, the Bible refers to Him as the Spirit of Holiness. And because He is the Spirit of Holiness, His purpose is to deepen the imprint of the image of God in our lives, to restore us to what God wants us to be. His purpose is to increase our joy by making us more holy. And so what he does, he leads us to things, again, looking for God's will, that will enable us to be more sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he guides us by subduing the power of indwelling sin. He guides us by weaning us from the world. He guides us by maintaining a tender conscience with us. And also... By drawing out the heart of Christ. By causing us to live, not for today, but to live for eternity. Those are some basics, and we're not done yet, of being led by God. Any question or comment before we close tonight? Yes, okay. So I'm sorry, Mark, pick up this a little bit. It could very well be. We've got to be careful of that. 
Yeah, we've got to be careful. And, and market, you know, our conscience may want a good thing. But if it's not God's will for us, is it really a good thing? No. So, yeah, that's a good question. Any other questions? And that's, again, why we've got to use the direction of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and bring them all together. Now, keep in mind, folks, and I forgot to mention tonight, we did last week, I think. You know, the, I guess in a nutshell, you know, we have the Word of God. Uh, we have the Spirit of God. And certainly we have prayer that can help us determine the peace of God. Uh, but before you move, make sure you have...